Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. Welcome back to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Fraz. I'm Miss Redacted, and we will allow our guests to introduce themselves. All right, my name is Rafael Bonon. Welcome to the party. Thank you, thank you for the invitation. Yeah, what do you teach? I currently teach third grade math, science, and social studies. It's a Reggio Emilia project-based type of school. We know them. Hey. <laughs> Not personally, but... I love Reggio. And at the beginning of the year, when I didn't have my room decorated and my admin asked me why, I was like, have you heard of Reggio? And it's definitely not because I didn't feel like spending time or money doing it. It's not that. It's Reggio. <laughs> and what was their response to that? They had bigger fish to fry. My go-to is whenever an administrator, like... It's like, why aren't you? You need to start talking about a study, even if you're making it up, and they'll just kind of like become overwhelmed and be like, okay, bye. That's valid. <laughs> They're like, okay, next, next. You're like, according to this research study by the American Pediatric Association, actually, I was meaning to talk to you about this. <laughs> They're like, oh, Jesus Christ, get out. I love it so much. I feel like a lot of people think that Reggio is just for preschool or just for really young kids, but it, the project-based learning aspect of it is just incredible. Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring that up because the school did start as an early education center in D.C. within other schools. And then DCPS said, we like the stuff that you do. We like the way that you groove and we want to expand you. So going from pre-K three all the way to fifth grade, ever since then, it's always been an obstacle for some of the upper elementary grades of how to incorporate Reggio in its authenticity because, you know, here in America, we have standardized testing starting in third grade. So certain priorities get more value than others, but I try to do both. Yeah. How do you swing that with experiential learning and testing? It's a combination. I use a lot of experiential learning, mostly during social studies class or science class. Do you like that? Like, how's the vibe? So the vibe is not an easy path to, to walk on. It's a lot of trial and error with experiential learning. It is knowing your students and knowing what type of experiences would gravitate to them and lure them in and the experiences that they already have. So still teaching the standards as well as incorporating certain type of experiences and different projects that can enhance the learning. Every single year, I try to take a new shot at making something else experiential in some type of way. Um, there's some years where I've been very successful. There have been other years where it's like, ooh, I could have done much better. And then especially for elementary school, when we talk about social studies topics and if any topic, really, if you want to get that experiential learning, you it, it takes a lot on the teacher to front load and create certain things and be aware of the different outcomes that can happen, right? So that all takes years of experience of just knowing how kids react usually in whatever grade you teach. But it's fun. It's fun. Enough. Yeah, I mean, I loved talking to you. We, for those of you listening who, I don't even know if I told you, Redacted, I met you at the AFT conference and 
we did like a mini interview and it it broke. Like it literally sounded like we were underwater. And I was like, A, that's horrible. But B, I was like, I do have a podcast and we could just have the same conversation over again. So experiential learning is like you're learning based on experiences. But you mentioned that there are some things where experiential learning should just never be used for. And I think that's where some of us have seen this in the news, even if we didn't realize it was experiential learning, it was. So do you want to say some of the things that we shouldn't use project-based learning for? Oh, I'm so intrigued. This sounds messy as hell. Oh, redacted. It's bad. What's going it's on? Bad. Alert, alert. Don't try to simulate anything that has to do with very harsh moments in history, such as the Holocaust, slavery, any genocide, things of that nature. In all of those situations, there's a power dynamic. And there's no way that you can put somebody in experience and they will understand that power dynamic, especially little kids. That's not the route to go. I've seen some really horrifying lesson plans to teach slavery that were experiential learning now that you are mentioning this. Literally, I already thought of like three news stories that I've seen. Yeah, and usually the route to take when teaching those certain things is to highlight it from individuals who were heroic even through you know, treacherous times, you know, those that were able to rebel during slavery and even during the Holocaust and they were able to like shine a little light, you know? So don't do it. It's not like I would advise don't do it, just don't do it. If it's like, huh, should I do this? No, don't do it at <laughs> no. all. If you're thinking about it, stop in your tracks. Stop thinking, hit no. We can only use experiential learning for good. Not like having a mini Stanford prison experiment in your classroom. Exactly. Like maybe to teach slavery if you wanted to be hands-on and experiential, they could like read something that someone who experienced it wrote. I feel like that is learning an experience. Exactly. Without the Stanford prison experiment of third grade. Right. Yeah. Um, now I'm just like making you say things that we just said before, but could you tell everybody about the project you do with the like monuments and stuff? Mm, okay. Because I love that. So, Don't steal his idea. If you do, I'll find you. <laughs> so no, I live in Washington, D.C. and D.C. is a great place for a lot of monuments, memorials and other things. So what I've been doing for the last few years is having students, they, they had to do some research, but then also I put them in the shoes of being the head of their own tour company. And then what they had to do was make duplicates and make a 3D model of different monuments and memorials and landmarks and DC. And then they had to think about how they would run a tour company from like their advertisements to the audience that they would attract. You know, some students in the past have said, yeah, our tour company is going to allow pets. Our oh. tour company is going to give free Skittles, you know, so all these different type of approaches. Some were like, we're going on Segway, you know, Segway scooters. Some were like, well, we're going to take um, one of those boat tours, you know, so they get very creative with that. But it's to teach also entrepreneurship. And because the city is not so large, a lot of these students actually see a lot of these things that they're discussing and trying to persuade people. And then we had a culminating event where people would come, they would see the different tour companies, and then we would have like a scoreboard, right? So people came, they listened to the whole spiel that kids did. They did a Canva project. They had to get in character as if they were the tour company manager, you know? So that type of experience is something that's kind of safe, right? It's not anything that 
can go left field and come back at you when your principal is knocking on your door. Like, I don't know if you should have touched on that. But Maybe next time with the human rights violations, we, we don't do that in that way. <laughs> I think, like, the choice in voice that students have in project-based learning is so beautiful. And, like, the things that you mentioned, like, just, like, the segues and the skittles. It's, like, the things that they get excited about to incorporate and make it their own. Like, I'm sure that's so cute. So I want to hear more about, like, what exactly project-based learning really means because I hear it a lot, but I don't have like a hard definition like because what I'm gathering is it's important about like choice and things like that so I'm get like not all projects are true PBL probably because I know a lot because I teach high school a lot of times we give them projects but there's really no aspect of choice and voice and there's really no aspect of creativity like maybe you get to pick the topic but that's it and you're picking it from like a short list so kind of like what is PBL really look like and what does that mean? Yeah, PBL is, I would say it's an umbrella term. Experiential learning techniques such as role play and simulations kind of fall under that. Within PBL, you have different type of approaches that get kids more, number one, more engaged. It's supposed to give them more ownership and it's supposed to get them to have some kind of culminating task where they get to display it, not only to each other, but to a wider audience, maybe their school community, maybe people within the community. Uh, with PBL, there's collaboration and you can incorporate math and ELA. You know, traditionally, we try to keep those isolated and separated, right? But the teacher kind of gets framework and gets feedback but allows the students to come up with a lot of conclusions on their own and then guides them to the next step. But the final outcome isn't determined from the beginning. So to say, hey, your final outcome should be this, that isn't really PBL because it's supposed to fall on the students where closer to the end of the deadline, students are putting together different pieces of what they want their outcome to be. And that's very, I guess you could say it's unorthodox versus what we usually do in schools when we teach students. Hey, by the end of the lesson, you should be doing this. It should look like this. This is an exemplar, blah, blah, blah. But it's really student-centered, and it's really for teachers to kind of guide and facilitate and navigate so students could get to their own final destination. That's very cool. The collaboration that it fosters in a classroom is really beautiful. I actually ended up getting my first tattoo because of a project that my kids came up with. That'd be a fun project. Let them pick a tattoo for you. They didn't even know, and they did. But it was they wanted to do butterflies, so it turned into this whole, whole thing. And it was really cool to like work cross-curricular with other teachers, even like teachers like the art teacher. It just was something that we also had to, in my class, from day one start fostering a spirit of collaboration because you have to build the culture in your classroom to make it a place where like kids feel comfy to do that and are able to collaborate because like when I was doing it in kindergarten those kids are still in like the egocentric stage of development they are not natural born collaborators at that point this is so like interesting to me and very foreign to me because I teach AP US history which is like the antithesis of project-based learning like I'm great their essays right now and I'm like your sentence didn't start with according to document J so unfortunately I have to give you no points for that and I think it's like such a cool way to look at it of like not having the end game defined like just because I know people are hesitant to project-based learning and like 
in theory, I'm with you, but just like my knee-jerk reaction to not having an end game in mind, because I've only ever taught heavily standardized tested course, I like filled with anxiety. I was like, oh my God, we don't have an end game. You have to teach with the end in mind. That's the whole thing. I think you kind of do start with the end in mind in a way though. Like the kids have to pose like some kind of challenge or question or you pose it for them. Like Correct. The, they're not going like super rogue, you know? Yeah, but I even mean like anytime we have something the big a big thing at least that I've always been pushed to do and I'm not saying this is right but I'm just saying it's right to get high standardized test scores if that's what your priority is which I don't think should be the priority of the education system is like showing a model of what's perfect so like when we're doing our document-based essays I show them another kids that's perfect and like how they scored all the points so that's what's crazy to me is because like I live in such like a rigid system and it sounds so fun to be able to like kind of let them let their little flags fly and do their thing and be creative and have free skittles well i'll say i'll include this right there are expectations during project-based learning experiential learning so we do provide different rubrics right and checkpoints so the kids will see like you need to create a canva project to display this information this information this information how they go about displaying it and showing that they can incorporate videos in there images they can interview people so that's where their autonomy comes from but it's still a checklist that holds them accountable for that it's a little bit difficult on the elementary side right it's a harder lift because we do want to give them primary resources right for certain subjects and content we had to take that and break it down to a third grade level so then they can interpret it but a lot of images a lot of primary sources that we use come from images, doing a lot of thinking routines, making them successful when they do need to compromise. How do you work together and realize that it's not always gonna be your answer that gets chosen, right? So some of those skills are very necessary, especially when we become adults. Uh, a lot of adults get upset <laughs> when it doesn't go their way, right? So it's, it's, it's important for project-based learning to have that included in it. And then I think another thing and this is like a goal, right? During the pandemic, they had stopped taking SATs and other certain standardized scores for colleges. It should be at a level now, we're in 2023, where kids are doing projects and there are electronic portfolios that they have from kindergarten. It travels with them to whatever school they go to middle school. And that could be something that they present when they are applying to different colleges. Yes. These are my scores on these standardized tests. These are my grades during school time. But these are also projects that I've done throughout the course of the years. And this shows a different type of knowledge. This shows my creativity. This shows how I'm able to speak in front of others and research, you know, so that's like in a romanticized world, I, I would envision it. I don't, and I don't think that part is too difficult. It has to be romanticized. When I was in high school, I applied to a like very elite cohort at the University of Southern California that had a project submission as a part of their application. You had to put multiple videos of yourself saying what your idea was. Cause it was like an innovation thing where it was big, literally PBL for the four years of college. And then you had to like get an LLC and a patent and like all of that like throughout your college experience. So if we're looking at like the quote unquote top spheres of society, they're showing that this work is valuable. And I think it's really depressing that our education system is so archaic that we still use things like standardized tests to assess students when just what you said, like it is 
completely within the realm of possibility for us to have a digital file of every kid with work samples of every year. Like that is so technologically possible and so reasonable to expect that. And the fact that we don't have that is really crazy. I'm hoping that it happens in the future. When I taught early Head Start, I did have to scan in work samples and put them in some kind of system. So maybe that's a good sign. We're usually talking about things that make teachers quit. And I feel like, dang, that would be really nice if more people got to experience things like this and less like here's what you're gonna do here's how you're gonna do it it's just so exciting to me it's exciting and also it could be very scary to some educators because they weren't trained to teach in that type of way so to then ask them to take that risk you know i would say a lot of educators are very insecure and the idea of losing power and control or shifting how that power and control looks like in a classroom could be very scary to a lot of teachers Another part of it too is like project-based learning in general. It's also a lot of work. That's what I was about to say. It sounds like a very heavy lift on planning and prepping and grading and collaboration. Like it sounds great, but I'm trying to, this sounds like a lot of people. It is a lot easier in some ways to have a boxed curriculum that tells you this is your assessment, this is how you're assessing students, this is how they're going to show what they know, whereas this is an opportunity for students to be assessed on the same standard but show their knowledge in a different way. And that's so amazing for accessibility and like cultural relevancy and all these things that we want to foster in a a class community. But it's also a lot of work. I would definitely say for individuals who've never done it before, go to somebody who has done it before and ease your way into it. Like, don't even try to do a project every quarter. Usually I probably do like three or four unit or bigger projects. And that takes a lot out of me. Like there was another project I did last year that talked about the neighborhood that I'm teaching. And after the assassination of Dr. King, that whole neighborhood basically got burnt down. There were a lot of riots happening. So, you know, showing my students primary sources of just the images, right? Of just seeing that. So they could say, like, wow, you know, I've been on that street. Like, how can it look like that? And then how can it look like what it looks like now? So I took an approach of, of creating the story that they were back in the late 60s and they were given the task of revitalizing that neighborhood and making businesses. And there were different obstacles and challenges that came about that. But it really is looking for moments where you can engage kids some more. Like, how do certain things that we teach in a curriculum connect to real life? So that's what I would say, experiential learning and and project-based. I'm more geared towards like experiential learning, right? Which is, like I said, under the umbrella of project-based learning, uh, where kids can feel themselves inside of something as if they're a character connected to the story. We're moved by stories. Human beings are moved by stories. That's why we have history, you know? So listening to people's narratives, even when talking about time. In math right now, we're talking about time and I'm, I'm having my students create these stories about how different gadgets were used to uh, record time, right? Like sand dials, you have water dripping into a bucket, shooting off a cannon at so whatever time of the day. Like, So they were creating some stories about that so they could feel even more connected to time. Because who knows what time is going to look like in the future. I was telling somebody, Facebook and Ray-Ban are making these glasses like Tony Stark from Marvel comic books, you know? Like everything is all in one. You can see your emails, call people, you know, Open your glasses. Can we have no peace? 
I can't even sit and look at a wall without a fucking email coming up. I hate the future. I hate it here. I don't want to see my Gmail account in my glasses. I don't even want to see my Gmail account on my computer. Let's get rid of that feature. For me, like one thing I love about teaching is those light bulb moments. Mm. And it's like light bulb after light bulb when you're doing this type of teaching and learning. Because like you mentioned the scaffolding, like the breaking down of these big concepts into smaller things. But like a lot of the scaffolding also seems to happen in an organic way. Like as you progress on the journey of the story where it's like you start discovering things rather than just like somebody telling it to you. It's just so powerful. It's so cool. And like I remember loving like what they call in project-based learning like the dessert projects. Like after you finish a unit, you do the big project. And that's like the culmination thing. I freaking loved that. Like When you were younger, did both of you do the Oregon or the Yukon Trail? Or- the little game? I remember that when I was, yeah, when I was in fifth grade, it was a unit and, you know, that was a simulation. That was very project-based where we were learning about the whole westward movement and manifest destiny and all of that. I taught that today. Really? Yeah. They were not as into it as I was, but it was good. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even like that game is kind of applicable. They were talking about the game. They said they had played it in elementary school. They brought it up. They said, is this the game where everyone dies from diarrhea? And I said, yep, that's this. Yeah. Yeah. But even so with that like putting a twist on that for example das reeves he had escaped slavery he learned how to speak all these different native american languages and he became a u.s deputy marshal and a current spin on that would be like creating some type of simulation about him he was a hero right in a moment where there was a lot of negative things occurring to black people and yeah he was who a lot of cowboy movies were modeled after you know so Certain heroes like that need to be uplifted. And then, you know, simulations and experiences could be brought off of that and expanded off of that. Redacted, I feel like you'd love to learn about his life. No, I really do. I've heard of this person. Like, you could do a whole stream. I'm curious to hear, like, I can't imagine having to adhere to the horribleness of standardized testing with this, because just what you're saying is, like, you can go so deep on anything, and then, like, the thing that I'm dealing with right now is I only have a semester with these kids to teach them all of U.S. history, from literally, like, colonial times all the way up to the year 2000. So, like, how do you kind of find that balance of still, like... Because one thing that's difficult for me as an educator, and I always find myself on the like fence of, is like, do I want to do this thing, like PBL or other things, that I know are going to benefit you, that I know are good for learning, but ultimately are going to set you up to not do well on this standardized test that is going to be on your transcript that you're applying to college with. So it's like that really tough kind of in-between of like, I feel like either way you're right and either way you're wrong. So how do you kind of find that balance of like the testing versus like the diving deep into the more beneficial stuff? Maybe I'm not the best to ask this type of question because (laughs) I've always been a rebel and I've always known that like, you know, the SATs are just predictors of who will do well their freshman year of college. It doesn't say who will do, who will graduate. They don't predict that. When they look at the studies, there's not even any correlation between performance on the SAT and grade performance in college. One of the only correlating factors they can find to the SAT is parental income. Yeah, so those are gatekeepers, right? Those experiences being taught 
can't do everything. Um, some things have to give, some things have to go. I'm not going to tell every teacher to try it and give it that risk. People have their jobs and their livelihood. I just know for me personally, I know that there needs to be a combination of both. And I've done that. Even when my admin was like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, like you mentioned earlier, I've done the research. I've looked at scholarly articles to, to prove that, right? Sometimes it doesn't go well, but I got to I got to stick to my core, right? And then the school that I'm in now actually fosters things like that. So I would advise teachers, if you if you naturally feel connected to doing a lot of project-based learning and your school does not approve that and your admin doesn't support, please start looking for another school, you know? And that's, it's easier said than done. Literally everyone's hiring, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like your school, I guarantee you can find a different one. I guarantee that there is an opening near you. Also like scary for people. Like I do totally agree with that though. Like I feel like I say that a lot where it's like, just leave. And people are like, well, it's not that easy. Like I have a kid, I have a mortgage. And I'm like, I know, but like, I think it contributes to burnout so much when you're feeling some type of way about your administration. If they're listening to research, if they're not listening to research, if they're doing what's best for teachers and students, like if you're in that environment day in and day out, it's so detrimental and ultimately, you might just fully leave teaching because you're like, I hate this. But like, you know, at least start thinking about like, maybe there's a different school. Maybe there's a school that's really well versed in things like universal design and project based learning that might be a better fit for me or whatever. The opposite even. I don't know. Like <laughs> <laughs> If you're like, oh, I want a school where all we do is I-ready math and standardized tests. That's my dream. I bet there's a school out there for you. I bet there's a lot, actually. <laughs> there's an admin that would love you. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, how is it like – have you had any pushback at all from, like, parents and admin or any – I mean, not admin because they run the school that you're at. But has that ever happened? Uh, so, you know, what's interesting is that I teach third grade and parents love when their kids come home happy. Because this is this is always the question. How was your, how was your day at school? Mm -hmm. Good. That's most responses. But when a child comes home and they give more and say, yeah, I'm working on this project. And then when parents see their kids working on some of the project at home in their free time, they're like, what's going on? <laughs> Last year, I'm for real. Some kids were working on their Canva projects and the parents are like, what in the world? They even had their kid making um, presentations for them. They're like, you been <laughs> clock in. You know how to make a PowerPoint? Let's get it. This is what you want to do with your free time? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. In addition to that, I'll have, you know, end of the unit where parents come and I invite parents. So they see what the students have been working on. So it gives different opportunities for parents to be engaged and see what the kids are working on. Traditionally, when teachers are doing things in the classroom, Parents might see it in a book bag. They may not take it out the book bag. It might get lost in a book bag. But when you are inviting parents to come and see what the children have been experiencing and working on and spending their hours and energy on, the parents most of the time are very proud. None of the students want to be embarrassed in front of their parents. Like they know their parents are coming. I would say that. You don't know the final end outcome of what they have, but they know that their parents are going to come and see it. So. And that's cute to hear. Like, I bet as a parent, that is super exciting to have your kid come home and be like on fire about what they're learning because parents like always complain that they say to their kid, how is school? Fine. What'd you learn? Nothing. And I, so I think like, you're right. It probably is like a very different, like different experience for them. Mm -hmm. Not to totally shift gears, but 
you do a lot of work with AFT and I know that you have like some professional development stuff that also could be a really good starting point for people who um, maybe are intimidated by this work or want to get it into their own schools. So do you want to share a little bit about like that whole thing? So I have been working with a group of elementary and secondary teachers on a civics professional development. And then my professional development is about experiential learning, more specifically role plays and simulations. For example, I go through what's the definition of role play and simulations, because some people think they're synonymous, but they're not. Different examples, different opportunities of planning and actually engaging in some specific role plays and simulation. There are a lot of resources out there. So I would say that this PD is a good experience to come if you are unfamiliar with role-playing simulations to kind of hear for the first time and become intrigued and become interested, you'll walk away with something. Anybody that comes to the PD walks away with something, right? Whether it be a simulation that can last five weeks or a role-play that you can use in your classroom that might last five minutes. So there's a variety of different experiential learning techniques in this PD. So it can appeal to some people who are novice and some people who think they're experts. We've all done a lot of research. We put in a lot of time, a lot of energy. We actually have our final pilot, which is occurring in San Antonio. We're going there in a week and a half. And then by, I believe by the springtime, it should be launched. And if you or any other teachers are part of the AFT, you can reach out to your 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 local union they could connect with the aft and somebody could come out there and teach the people in your local about some of the different topics we have civic engagement like i said experiential learning different things for the secondary about uh, different frameworks to use in a classroom especially when talking about civics because all are connected to civics and if you are in a very anti-union place and you're like how the heck do i get involved Look, a lot of anti-union states have a teacher's association, so they don't have rights, but they do get you access to things like AFT. So if you can't join a union, look to see if there's an educator association, and they will probably have some cool, helpful stuff. They will not be able to get you duty-free lunch or a raise, but they have cool PD. Something (laughs) also before I do any type of experiential learning is of funds of knowledge. So to learn more about the cultures of my students that I had that year, I do that. So then I'm just aware of what I can incorporate when I do start to use different role plays, techniques, or uh, simulations in the classroom that kids can say like, oh, I, I already know something about this or I'm already connected to this. They come with a, a few prior experiences and prior knowledge. So it's important that you know the culture of all the students that you work with and that they can kind of share that and have the opportunity of sharing that with others. You talked about getting students to feel comfortable enough. It's like comfortable and also vulnerable enough where they get to act out or play, do these different things with their classmates to break those barriers. The way that I do that is with the funds of knowledge. I'm able to also see how I can get certain families involved. It doesn't happen all the time where I get every single family involved, but whatever aligns with whatever I'm teaching, whatever the subject matter or event that comes up, I try to go back to uh, some of the stuff that I have documented about the families that I'm working with that year. Is that like a survey that you do? How, how do you collect that information? Yeah. So in the beginning of the year before the school year starts, I create a survey, send it out to all parents, and then I remind them on back to school night. Because like I said, I teach math, so, social studies, and science. I talk to my ELA counterpart and we pick apart different things that 
stand out to us. So then we try to just incorporate that in both of our, our classrooms. With the older kids, actually, they can fill that out their own. It'll ask them questions about like, what are your hobbies? What are some of your values? Things of that nature. For third graders, they're not really doing that on their own. So it's good to put that in their hands. I'm trying to imagine a third grader answering values. They're like, I'm I'm a fan of Cheez-Its. Yeah. Big, big my fan of Cheez-Its over everything. <laughs> Roblox is great for me right now. I would say Roblox is my main priority. Pokemon is still in. I want a Roblox. I should let them play it on the smart board with the giant. Right. <laughs> they have a, a math prodigy. It's called Prodigy. It's like a math role play yeah. adventure thing. And they freaking love that. They have to do battles where they do math problems at each other. This episode is not sponsored by Prodigy. I freaking wish. But <laughs> they won't do math facts for me unless it's, I know, unless it's Prodigy. I love an interdisciplinary math. The the other day, I was making my students look at graphs about immigration during the 18 and 1900s and analyze them. And they're like, they were like rioting. They were like, we have to do math. This is history class. Why are we doing math? I was like, stay calm, you guys. Learning can all be connected. It's all going to be okay. You make things too isolated. Maybe like chunk them so much. And I don't think it's beneficial at all. Yeah, it's fun to like cross-curricular it. I think that's also getting to be more popular. Yeah, I think so. My school is doing a big push now where we have this thing called It's Lit. I don't know why it needed a name. But where we're supposed to embed literacy into all of our lessons. Or not all of them. We're supposed to do it on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but I just do it every day because I'm too lazy to keep track of what we're doing on what day. So I'm like, we can read and write every day and then I don't have to keep track of the days. Oh my gosh. And I love that you mentioned um, like the parental involvement thing. I literally have not shut up about this since I started my master's program. My... My research project is on, like, parental involvement in schools and how, like, parents have been systematically excluded from the public school system. And it got worse during COVID so that we have to, like, intentionally re-include them and make sure that they have, like, avenues to get involved. And I just think, like, right off the bat sending home that survey and being like, hey, what's up with your family? Like, what makes you guys you? And like, what background, what values? I think that's like so smart. Because <laughs> I think everybody should do that, whether they're doing project-based learning or experiential learning or not. You know, the African proverb is always, it takes a village. You believe in that, you gotta like really say that. You know, you gotta, the action has to be behind the word. And uh, yeah, it makes a big difference, you know? It builds rapport, but also you learn a lot and then you know how to incorporate that. When you're a teacher and you're in your groove and you just flowing, you know, you've been doing it for a while, you, you have a good groove, you know when you can incorporate some other things and sprinkle it in there, right? And it makes kids happy. Like, oh, wow, Miss Fraz, she knows that I play baseball and she put me in a math word problem. Like something simple as that. Something yeah. that simple could make kids so happy. Yeah, we all just want to be seen. Like at the end of the day, like we just want somebody to like see us and value what we bring to the table. I love putting a kid's name in a, in a problem. They get so excited. I don't get to do that that often, but when there's the opportunity, it's fun. Makes them a celebrity. Yeah. Some kids hate it and they're like, the, the extroverts for sure. Oh, I'm laggy. I can feel it. Yeah, you are a little lag but we still like you okay thanks 
See, I told you technology. Seven, seven planets are in retrograde. Or what did I say? Six? Mm-hmm. We're just choosing to blame the planets in retrograde. Something needs to be the scapegoat because some of this stuff is like there was one day my mom had come to visit. So she asked me to take the day off. It was a Thursday. I came back on Friday. I got a note from the substitute. The substitute was like, I've seen your kids do well, but today they didn't. And I was like, oh boy. So I showed the kids a note. And even on that Friday, I'm like, huh, something's strange. And it took for real, for real, like a whole week. The whole next week, it was like the kids, it was like, who are you? They looked at me like, who are you? And I'm like, me, you forgot me? I'm the teacher. Like, <laughs> why are we not in line? <laughs> why are we not in line order right now? Like, what's going on? I was so thrown off by that. I was like, oh my goodness. I, I don't know if I can take off another day anytime soon. I hate days like that where it feels like they had a meeting without you. <laughs> where you're like, wait, you guys, this isn't like our normal plan. I don't know what you all decided, but I clearly <laughs> was not involved. <laughs> They're conspiring. I can't say the word. Conspiring Conspiring against you. There we go. Honestly, if they did, I'd be proud of that collaboration. I'd be like, you guys all worked together on something. So I'm going to celebrate that. Even right now, I'm teaching the students about the local government. So we're going to have these elections and then students are going to make bills to send to the principal. And I have something set up where there are council members that are going to come to my classroom and we're going to see where the council members in D.C. do their hearings. And I've been teaching the students about power, different forms of power. And, you know, I learned this from this social justice, Harvard Project Zero PD, but they said that there were four versions of power, power to do something, power over something, power with something, and then power within something. So you could fill in something with other words, right? You know, so we've been discussing that and I've been telling the kids that they have power, right? Like you had the power over your body to stand in line and follow the expected behavior. You have the power to choose your hats if you want to come to school with a hat. You have the power to trade your Pokemon cards. One kid today was like, you know what, Mr. Bonome? You have power, but there's a lot more students. Can't we overpower you? And I was like, that could happen. You're like, so we're going to play a Kahoot now. To pivot. <laughs> I was like, I have the power to get a class pet. I have the power to set up field trips. <laughs> Do you want me to use the power to not let you go on these field trips? <laughs> like, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I remember the feeling of being in my first classroom where I was like, there are 27 of them and one of me. Like if they figure what your students figured out, we could wrap this up today. It could be all over. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that's what happened at my school today, you guys. They were having a bad day. They were. The planets were in retrograde. They had to take the PSAT yesterday. Everyone's just really dysregulated right now. Oh, that might be No, I genuinely think it's because they had a four-day weekend and then came back and then immediately had the PSAT. And they also, homecoming is this weekend. So there's just like, there's just like a lot of emotions happening. Thank you so much for joining us and coming to hang out with us. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. I learned so much from this. I want to like throw away my whole lesson plan for next week. Like, fuck this PowerPoint. Don't do that. Take it easy. (laughs) One step at a time. All right. Baby steps. Baby steps. We just have one project. One project, you guys. Take it slow. Take it slow. Thank you all for listening to Teacher Quit Talk. We love you so much. And we'll see you next week. Mwah. 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 Bye. Bye.